Hello, and welcome to the Rebecca Panapinto Project. Today, I am very excited to host an incredible entrepreneur named Angelo. Now, Angelo is also an author, an inventor, and the CEO and co-founder of Ballista Technology Group. In addition, Angelo is the host of the Counting Sands podcast. He received his master's from Harvard University, where he won the thesis prize back in 2020, and he's an expert in high-performance and distributed computing solutions, especially within the health IT, AI, and modernization space. Today, we have an incredible conversation, which includes ChatGPT, as well as how technology will help all of us live longer. Enjoy the show. Angelo, welcome to the show. Hey, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So excited. I always love having other podcasters on my podcast slash videocast because you have the gear and you look great. <laughs> yeah, you do. You can definitely tell we do this. Yeah, this more, I love More than it. once or twice. Mm-hmm. You have a fun story about that. We'll get into a little bit later too. But I first want to start with really where you focus, which I love because you're in the same world as me of digital transformation. But you have this different term for it. You call it a digital evolution. Where did that term come from? And tell us a little bit more what it means to you. Sure. I can tell you I didn't invent it. I'm not exactly sure where it came from. I've heard it here and there. I think eventually, first place I heard it was from a private equity firm we were talking to. Um, But I I would say that it struck a chord with me because digital transformation, I have to be honest, was one of the terms that kind of I started getting a little tired of hearing, a little bit of angst with it. And it started getting old and, and, and ambiguous. But the idea is still, I think, there's a, there's a Harvard Business Review article I really liked about it that described it. And it said that there are three distinct phases. And I think that's how I align my thoughts with it. The, the first phase is modernization, which is taking your technology and kind of bringing it into the new era. Then you have to transform the way that you do your internal processes. And then finally, you're finding new lines of business. But it's not like it ends there. You have to continue to to evolve, right? Because all of that will get stale. The world constantly changes. The market changes. That doesn't mean, I think, that, that firms like ours just kind of come in there and stay in bed forever. That's, that's not what it means. And we only really do the first thing. We help you modernize your technology so that you can enable these other things. But I like the term evolution far better because it describes the journey. It has to be a all-in uh, endeavor that organizations have to do. It, it kind of reminds me of the early days of Netflix. Remember, they were a DVD company, a fulfillment company, and then they became a streaming technology company. I mean, that was a complete evolution to something totally different. And, and I think that that embodies the idea of of what that is supposed to be. Um, and that's why it struck a chord with me and it's stuck. And we kind of use it in our organization too, to describe I ourselves anyway. Yeah. Well, and just personally, like I'm more attracted to the idea of evolving versus transforming because like me transforming feels drastic and feels like it would gain a lot of attention and, uh, you know, could be positive or could be traumatizing either way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if there's like this slow growth and evolution, it's just, it's more empowering. I feel like it's, it's more subtle, but it's longer lasting. So for me, yeah. just the, even the terms are more attractive. I'd rather be known as a person who's ever evolving versus like, you know, somebody who's drastically transforming every two years. Cause that means you probably were like a little far gone in a certain area, maybe like your te- legacy tech got too legacy. And then all of a sudden you got to like 180 transform versus just constantly every quarter evolving. And then you're not getting caught 
too far behind the ball. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have a practical example. I mean, it's not just like just terminology. Um, there's an organization we were helping and the reality is you can't just stop doing business. You can't just say, well, we're all going to evolve now. I mean, transform now, right? As if you stopped and now you're going to come out of a cocoon or something else. Um, you have to move it over in pieces. So the way that they took it is they took a line of business and they evolved that line of business, but they did it in parallel with concurrent business and they tried not to disrupt it, leave it backwardly compatible not the most optimal, optimal and cost-efficient way, right? But it's the reality of how do you take a legacy system and bring it into the new era? You can't just shut it off and say, in three months, we'll start doing business again. Yeah, I think about you know actual infrastructure too. I got a funny email the other day that the, one of the tunnels that comes out of New York City that gets you into Jersey is called the Holland Tunnel. And the Holland Tunnel is being shut down for a dramatic change for the next three years. So basically, if you're wanting to get home late at night or on the weekends, you're not going through the Holland Tunnel because they're not just going to evolve the tunnel. They're completely transforming it. But it's going to be painful. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to live on that part of Jersey. And I thought it was funny. And I was like, that's legacy infrastructure right there. They let the tunnel go way too long. And now it's going to be a painful transformation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's exactly the point. And, and I think that... The other, the other side of me, the other thing that I really like about this idea of evolution, and, and maybe we just approach it a little differently than other people do, but I, I think that uh, I like to embrace these changes. Take the new technology, and you modernize not just to modernize because it's new and cool, but you want to modernize with an objective. So it's, re it's reachable and attainable by, by most folks. It's like when you have a big goal and you break it down to your daily habits and that's how you can get there. It just makes it all so much more realistic and less overwhelming that it's easier to get yourself motivated, let alone then get a team around a big idea. If I'm sure Netflix, it was just piece by piece and let's try this and let's try that. And as there was momentum and excitement, then the team gathered around it and just continued to build upon that as well. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone has to align to the idea, right? They have to know that this is the future and we're we are not going to harm you. We'll retool, right? That's an that's one thing that a lot of people forget to do. You have to reskill. If you don't reskill your workforce, you're going to end up in a internal struggle where um, maybe it could be political, you know, maybe because people don't want to lose their jobs. But if you don't create a way forward for that, it's going to be very hard. Are you going to have a modernization? You'll get a firm to help you modernize. And then what? What do you do when they leave? And so that's one of the things that we try to do. Make sure that when we leave, you're, you're set. You know, train you, we reskill you, um, kind of help you through the first one. I think that's a good pattern because if you're not ready for that, um, there's all kinds of issues that you'll run into, right? Your, your, your organization has to be ready. I know that the second phase is more changing the way that your organization works, but still within the technology aspect, you can't just say phase one done and leave. It, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. So can we talk about the year we've already had in tech and it's not even <laughs> out of Q1 yet and the just thousands upon thousands of layoffs from the biggest tech companies in the world and really where that leaves that workforce. Like first let's think about what would you say to those people 
laid off. I would love to get your perspective on that first because I'm sure they've got to reskill and retool and figure mm-hmm. out how they're going to compete as they get back in the workforce. Yeah, that's a really great question. I, I mean, it's it's we've all noticed it and it's hit us. I think since the last time you and I talked, it's just gotten much, much bigger. But I would also say, you know, my personal philosophy is you have to grow or die. And in, it's true in business, but I think it's true in individuals. In fact, that's one of my core values is growth. You have to always try to learn. So take this opportunity to learn things that are modern because organizations are going to need more and more of that, right? Like event-driven approaches and, and event streaming and you know big data and, and AI. Learn a little bit about all of this because it's becoming more and more relevant. AI is, is leaving the, the, the realm of mathematicians and data scientists and now coming into the hands of people who can implement them. You're still going to need those data scientists to make them, but I think now you're going to find computer scientists are going to have to know something about them. They don't need to know all the underpinning mathematics, but what they do need to know is what is it, what does it do, and how do I use it? So I think that I would say use the opportunity to to grow and reskill as much as you can, but um, I think you're going to be okay. I think when it comes to things like AI, even people like myself that are in customer-facing roles would benefit from spending some time learning the tech, learning how a chat GPT, these other tools can help me only be better at my job and have that much higher of a value proposition to whatever community or company I'm working for. Because they say you won't be replaced by AI, but people using AI. And so there's a balance of even just in customer facing roles and people that aren't technical, focusing on the new kind of Mm -hmm. frontier of tech, being ahead of that and being able to skill yourself quickly on what's trending and how it can help you be better. It's still a good use of time right now. Yeah. Ah, chat GPT. That is one that, uh, that, the number one question I get is, is it going to replace my job? So I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm not easily impressed with AI, right? I've, as a data scientist, when you know how a lot of the algorithms work, I, I'm saying they're interesting and you can see how cool they are and how well they work. But ChatGPT is the one thing that made me stop everything I was doing, dive into it. I mean, we even stopped season three of the podcast was about how AI can, can improve your life. We paused it and we said, forget it. We're going to do a mini season instead on chat GPT. Um, I mean, there's a lot to know. What is GPT? How do, what's the underpinning mathematics or, you know, we won't get too deep, but, but you know, what makes it work? Um, will I lose my job? What are the ethical, you and I talked about that. What are the ethical implications, right? We took, um, my kids' homework, my, my fifth grader's homework, and t- took the assignment after he did it and put it in chat GPT, and it created a version that would have passed, no question. So what do you do about that? Well, you, you could conceivably have people um, getting degrees on stuff they didn't earn, right? Is that ethical? Um, and the one thing I'm going to say about about that is it turns out, one of the things, when you asked me this, you know, a month or two ago, you said, you know, what do you think about the ethical implementation, implications? 
And I said, oh, you know, maybe there will be AI. We can use AI to, to check AI. It already exists now. There's already now AI that it can detect chat GPT created content. Now it's in, it's in its infancy too. But anyway, all of that is definitely worth, um, worth a discussion on the podcast. But I think that thinking about what chat GPT is, I, I really think that nothing's going to be the same. I, I think it is a fundamental groundbreaking change that we, we can either fight against, which you won't win because you never win against that, or you can embrace it, understand its weaknesses and try to use it in the right way. Um, so I don't know. I'm actually excited about it and it caught my attention more than any other AI did. And I go, wow, this is the real deal. I had no idea we were actually this advanced. Um, I thought this was another half decade away. So that's for what that's worth. Uh, that's pretty cool. It does feel like it happened really fast. And yeah. then just even the use cases that it's being able to be applied to so rapidly with all the other people like, oh, open AI, I can do this and this and that. It's definitely like snowball effect. And yeah. that, that is exciting, but also, yeah, it's okay, where to focus, how to get to be able to help me be most successful where I am today, the folks that maybe are displaced, where it can fit into what they want to do next. Yeah, like that. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that um, I'm glad they open sourced the AI. But I think that's just to give us a look behind the curtain to, to determine how it works. The real magic of something like that is none of that. I mean, you could take that algorithm, but it won't do the same results as what, what they're engineering. get. The real magic is all the stuff they use to train on, train it with. That's what makes it really work well but it's but this idea that was groundbreaking was the way that they composed other ideas before this is one of those things that i mentioned early in the podcast is it's about um technology is really about slowly evolving our knowledge by building on top of things that have come before us and understanding their weaknesses and that's what this was this was building on top of things in a new and novel way with a few new uh, inventions kind of brought in but now you have a collection of stuff that's super powerful. So I agree. I think individuals can use this. Um, it can make your life better. It should be a tool. It can remove a lot of tedium, things that we would be doing that, that wouldn't have as much value. And I found it, it's like the best executive assistant I could ever have. Right. So it does a lot of really good stuff, but there are also some things it doesn't do that you have to kind of be careful about. Well, and it's down a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's down a lot, yeah, which is a good problem to have if that's what you're building. That is true. Uh, it's a good problem to have if you're you're on the creator side for sure, but mm -hmm. it's disappointing when I'm like, man, I had lots of really cool things to ask it today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Let's talk about your show. I love the Counting Sand podcast. It's been such an incredible listen. I especially love when you talk about really the future of technology and like what it's going to do for our health and just ability to have a bigger impact in the world. So tell us a little bit about where the show's at today. I know you're kind of in between seasons, but give us a little bit of where you've been and where you're going. So in the first season was very introductory. I talked about the basics of AI and, and kind of went through some of that. Season two, we went to another level where we started talking about more practical aspects and we're, we're going to do the same thing in season three. Although I will say again, the chat GPT kind of played right into that, right? It definitely makes yeah. our lives better. So it's going to be part of mm -hmm. season three, but I think it was necessary to say pause, 
let's just talk about ChatGPT on its own as a standalone four or five episodes, and then let's see, let's see what it is. So that's where the uh, that's where the podcast is going. So I'm I'm Very super cool. excited about it. Yeah, I think there's elements too of like wearables and all these other data points that we can pull into AI too. That mm-hmm. are data points we've never tracked on ourselves before. I mean, I feel like every time I upgrade a piece of technology, it's like, now you can know your oxygen, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm sure these new data points that we're getting can only feed into better algorithms, better data, better outputs to understand, yeah, where mm-hmm. your health is, where your health's going, and how to correct it if need be. Exactly right. I mean, the wearables are meaningless unless they interpret something, right? Who cares what your oxygen is? what should it be well historically the way we know these things is somebody did a computational model through years of research with bunches of data and a control group in a scientific study and then published the results but now you can take that same mathematical model put it in an ai and i can calculate it while you're doing it and and it doesn't need to be again shortening that that research is research driven right shortening that from published research to to getting it to the hands of people. And I think that that's where it's interesting. Um, so now all this data, and that's a whole other problem. You got all this data now inundating the web, uh, you know, getting up to the cloud on your devices, and, and how do you do that? But all the wearables now have AI chips in them, so it doesn't have to go up to the cloud. They can compute it themselves. So there's a lot of really, really cool stuff happening. And I think that's, that's a, it's almost like you've seen the scripts of season three. Devices are definitely part of season three, right? What kinds of new things are we seeing that will change the way that we we interact with AI so that it, it benefits us? Cars too. I mean, there's a lot there. So there's a lot of really oh, cool yeah. stuff happening. Well, and even like um, Ancestry DNA, uh, what's the other one? 23andMe, data points like that of like your you know, yep. family tree and maybe their health issues, things like that. That's yeah. also data that's just been kind of slowly gathered over the previous years, but probably not actioned as much as it could be once you combine it with all these other data points you're able to get on a personal level as well. Totally. totally. I mean, even just using AI to, to help, I mean, there's gigabytes in your genome. Just getting it to be able to crunch that kind of information, um, not even predictability, right? You're just kind of in that sense, what are you predicting? Just what pieces of data should I then compute? Right? Because you gotta you gotta reduce it down from gigabytes to something you can actually compute. So um yeah, I think that there's a there's a lot of really great stuff coming. Um and then there are two ways to kind of think about it. I, I think about the same thing that your chat GPT is a great example of this. You can be afraid of it and you can fight it. And if you fight it, you'll eventually lose. That's how all innovations were, right? They said the same thing about the car, the automobile. We're like, oh, that's just, you know, a toy. Everyone can just have a horse and buggy. What's the, well, I mean, it's ubiquitous now. Nobody has horses and buggies. You could have fought it, but you would have lost. And eventually you will lose against some of these technologies. So the better thing to do is understand them and regulate them and be in control of what they can do and use them. Right. And so I think that that's um, that's, I think, where it should all go. And that is where it's going to go. Yeah. And it's accessible. I mean, chat GPT is free, at least for now. Mm -hmm. Devices are not cost prohibitive unless you want the like ridiculously gold encrusted engraved something. 
um, for the most part, it's all accessible at this point, the DNA tests. So like, there's not really any barrier to just be exposed and explore and see what kind of doors could open and w what kind of value could add. Cause I think it's only going to add, it's not going to subtract unless like, you know, yeah, you're really scared of something, but even then it's probably better to know you may have a heart attack in two years than to not. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, AI is one of those things that we could do it the wrong way, right? We could, we could have it start predicting diseases. There's no way to do that. We don't even know what causes diseases, but, but we might start surfacing risk factors. Well, we've been doing that for like a hundred years. So AI being able to do that quicker instead of maybe a decade or two decades of research, we can do that instantly. Okay. That's valuable. You probably don't want to put AI in charge of all the traffic lights and all the airplanes and, you know, the stock market, but you could use it to be able to, to do things that were very tedious and manual and add new safety warning devices and things like that that didn't exist before. So I think that you, there is a right way to use AI and there's a wrong way. And I, I understand the fear. And so there's wisdom in saying, you know, well, let's use it the right way. Um, it's going to be used. So you might as well, you know, do it right. Yeah. Spoken like a true data scientist himself. <laughs> yeah. I I'm love a little it. bit biased, but so are all the AI models. So right? there's I an know. old saying, <laughs> there's a saying that says, um, all AI models are bad. Just some are less bad than others. Right. Cause love they're it. all biased. So you have to, as mm -hmm. long as you embrace that reality, right. That that's what it is. Mm, there's no awesome. way not to I love it. That's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have such a diverse and interesting background. A favorite thing about you is I've got to know you and your family is that you kind of live between two worlds, two cultures internationally, and then at your home in Florida. Tell us a little bit about that upbringing, your experience with coming to the U.S. and being able to still go back and forth to Greece as well. Yeah. So my, my parents were immigrants to the United States uh, from Greece. And, you know, I'm I'm a first generation here. Uh, I'm the first one to go to college and, you know, there's all those, those kinds of things, but growing up here, um, I, I'm distinctly American, but I also have a distinctly Greek, uh, influence in my life. Right. And, and so I, I, the way I explain it to my wife is I have to go back to Greece and recharge my batteries there. Life is simpler and, and a little bit more, uh, folk and primitive and, and ancient feeling, right. There's a lot of history in Greece um, and, and you're kind of, you know, more into the, 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 just the land and the life of people. And here it's, it's just very different, right? We just, we, we have a West, different Western mentality. And I think that you need both. If I'm there too long, I kind of want to recharge in the United States and vice versa. So you need a little bit of these things, but I think it gives me a unique perspective, um, that, I see the value of technology and I see the value of, of um, life in another way. And when you kind of bring the two things together, you can just think creatively, right? I mean, the history always informs the future and the present. So I think that that's kind of like a unique aspect. Um, and, you know, it's so funny. My, my dad grew up on an island. He's an islander and he, he's from Hios and that island is known for, uh, seafarers and people are always asking me, was your dad a boat captain? And I was like, no, well, yeah, he was on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of like, oh, yeah, that was so, but I find myself drawn to, I have to live in a place that has to be near water. I don't know why I just feel like it. So I don't know. Is it DNA? I don't know. 
but yeah, that's, funny. that's, that's definitely an important part of who I am. One of my favorite stories you told <laughs> was how you were traveling to Greece and you had your whole podcast set up in your luggage and they didn't know what to do with you. And they were just like, what is this? And what is he carrying? You know, probably yeah. thought something was a weapon in there. Yeah. Yeah. You've yeah, come back I was, as a different uh, person. Yeah, I was going through Germany and and okay. the they they you know, it's in a little case and you get your microphone. It's all, you know, pro equipment. So they're like, This is like what's all this stuff for? And they're like, Is this a listening device? I'm like, No, I'm a podcaster. And they're like, What's podcast? And I go, Oh. <laughs> okay. I guess I have to explain that. So yeah, it's 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 funny, but it's okay. I think that there's um there's a lot of um it's also fun to broadcast from there too, I think. So it's just a little different. But yeah, there's a I have a million funny stories, so I love it. Yeah. And then you're a musician as well. Um you play a unique instrument. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think calling me a musician is probably being generous. Um I play the bouzouki. Um and I jam sometimes with some friends and, and that's the bouzouki is like um it's like a mandolin. It's a, a folk Greek instrument. Um, it's, it's tuned similar to guitar step up, but, um, it's just played a little bit differently, but what's funny, you know, going back to this idea of, of, of me being between two worlds, I play the bouzouki like a guitarist. I don't play it like, you know, like a, like a traditional folk trained, um, Greek bouzouki player. And it's funny because I, you can definitely hear my difference, but it's also different. It's me. It's a little bit, it's got my own personality and it. it's a little bit different. You don't play it like that normally, but, um, I think that adds a little, a little something unique and fun, right? You kind of make it your own thing. I mean, who says that the rule has to be, that has to be played a certain way. I agree. I say that about me and my band. I wrote all the drum parts. So if I ever mess up, I'm like, well, nobody can tell me it was wrong. Cause I wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the, it's drummer, very freeing. the drummer sets it, the drummer sets in the rhythm yeah. for everybody. So you could just mm -hmm. say, yeah, that's the piece. Play it. Improvise. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's very freeing to your creative side to be like, well, I can't really be wrong. So you yeah. don't really get nervous. You can't mess up. So I think it's fun. And yeah, I think you need, you need that balance. I think everybody should have a creative mm -hmm. outlet of some kind, right? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. some of the best computer scientists are have some musician background or they're artists, you know, they paint something because you have to exercise all parts of your brain. And I think that's super healthy. I mean, and by the way, there's a ton of studies that show that you live longer. If you, you know, the, yeah. the time when you stop using your brain, that's when you start to decline. So mm -hmm. don't stop. It's good. Now I have one final question for you. I know yeah. you already are man of principles just based on this conversation, but I want to hear if you had to say there was one principle that has been forefront for you, what would that be? Oh man. Um, I, okay. It's not going to sound super profound, but I think, um, Grow or die is, is the principle. Your business has to grow. The minute you stop growing, it's the beginning of the end. Um, and, but the same is true as a person. Just what we just talked about, you know, it, using all the parts of your mind. If you don't use all of your mind, you start to decline. Um, if you don't, uh, if you get laid off and you don't go reskill or you're not always learning, then all you're doing is you're setting yourself up for decline. And, um, in our organization, I will say that is such an important part of our DNA. It's one of growth is one of our core values, growth and excellence. 
Um, you, you ha we have to produce the best we can possibly produce. But you should always continue to grow. If you don't learn new things, it is not uncommon for us to just take an engineer and drop him in a position he's never seen before, a new language he's never seen. And we go, okay, be proficient, <laughs> right? And you have like three days. That might be terrifying to most people. But the reality is, I think if you're just used to that mindset of, okay, this is not, I'm not inventing a new language. I'm just going to take ideas I've already taken, maybe learn some new things and use it. That I think is going to serve you well. Um, and that's what I, what I realized about business. When I went back to grad school, I was trying to decide, do I want to do something else? Like I almost became a lawyer. But of course, I was 40 and I'm like, okay, by the time I pay back that loan, yeah, that won't work. I'll stick with computer science. So um, I, I think the important thing about that, the big realization for me was, wait a minute, what do I really like to do? I like to build stuff. Is it building technology, building businesses? It doesn't matter. I like growth. So I think that that's the, the, the biggest, most important thing I could say um, that's probably true in business, but I think it's also true to all of us individually too. I like it. I like waking up and being challenged, being excited about yeah, what I can yeah. do better than I did yesterday. It's boring otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Angelo, this was fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us. And I would love to be kept in the loop on future episodes and all that you're doing with the Counting Sounds podcast. So all the best and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. My pleasure. Really enjoyed being on. Thanks for having me.